0: This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leads Art Week.
1: Hello and welcome to Marketing Trends. This is Associate Producer David Freiberger. Today's episode features a CMO Roundtable with Sydney Sloan, CMO of SalesLoft, Keith Messick, cmo of dialpad and nick king vice president of cx marketing at cisco they talk about best tips for new cmos how to effectively work with corporate boards and much more this was recorded live at dreamforce 2019 in san francisco so please excuse a little bit of background noise marketing trends podcast is brought to you by salesforce we bring marketing and engagement together Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.
2: Here is your host, Ian Faison. Thanks, Emily and uh, Team Pardot for putting this on and uh, just being awesome in general. You can go to pardop.com slash podcast to learn more. Um, So first, not totally the first because we have done live podcasts, but Definitely first at Dreamforce, which is pretty fun. Uh, We brought a lively panel. I know that during the day, the Dreamforce panels can be potentially a little dry at times. So we're going to try to liven it up. uh, And hopefully everybody, if you haven't got mm, some sort of beverage, you can get a little lubricated yourself here. Um, So let's start off out the gate. I'm going to go to Keith first. Pressure. Can you share your name and title for the podcast audience? Okay, that's a tough one.
3: Yeah. Uh, Keith Messick, I'm the CMO at Dialpad. We're going in order. Yep.
4: <laughs> the mic just got passed. Right. For those of you listening in, um, Sydney Sloan, I'm the CMO at Salesloft.
5: And Nick King, I look after marketing for a portion of Cisco called CX.
2: So. On Marketing Trends, you know, we talk to marketing leaders, and what we try to do is get kind of inside the mind a little bit of their background, what they've worked on, who they've worked with, what are some of their favorite campaigns, what are the different, um, you know, things that they're working on, and what their companies are doing. Um, And so today, we wanted to be able uh, to be a little interactive. So we're going to do some Q&A portions, so start thinking of questions. Um, I kind of view podcasts in general as a tool in which you can reach, you know, millions of people potentially in hundreds of countries. This podcast is reaching people in 130 plus countries right now. So, you know, at the Pied Piper right now where we're sitting here uh, in this room, we're actually reaching, you know, thousands and thousands of people, which is really exciting. Um, But it's kind of a two-way street. And a lot of times it doesn't necessarily feel like that. Um, because in marketing, we tend to, uh, kind of talk at people sometimes instead of, you know, listening as much as we can. Um, so for the panel, I wanted to start off with, how do you think about listening? How do you, uh, talk to your teams? How do you structure ways in which that they can listen to your customers, listen to prospects in order to, uh, market later on?
5: So, uh, You know, it's really interesting. So a lot of what we do, CX obviously stands for customer experience. And um, what we do to understand what customers are doing is nothing can move forward. Nothing can engage. Uh, We shouldn't track anything that doesn't drive some level of customer engagement. And, you know, you start off with these massive scientific studies on how you're going to do it. And, you know, what the team realizes going and talking to a customer actually makes a lot of sense. And then what we found was we created these. Setups to graduate any campaign which requires the team to talk to four or five customers before they go do it. Now they've figured it out they cheat. They go talk to the customer and come back and say the customer's got this campaign idea, which was which is smart. Um, but I think I think just always leaning into the customer um, it it allows gives us credibility. We talk to the product teams, um, but also the safety I think is important for your teams to say when they think it's not a good idea. Uh, because often customers will look kind of crazy and you've invested a list to do these campaigns. Um, and the team also has the veto right to stop a campaign or an idea going to market, um, uh, which is kind of an interesting empowerment that you give them. Uh, and the only condition I have is they decide to not do something or change something, is that they have to have a customer back that up. Um, so I guess the meta there is safety. Safety to talk to the customer, safety to know that something's right for the customer. Uh, and then just make sure that that customer is the gate. It can't be some sort of exec override because that's the great idea that should happen that week to save all sales, you know. Um, so that would be the simple process we use.
4: Uh, I was having an interesting conversation just yesterday, actually, with a sales leader, and she was telling me, it's so interesting, sales actually doesn't talk to customers. We only talk to prospects. I thought, huh. She said, "In marketing actually talks to customers, customer success talks to customers, and marketing talks to customers. And I've always been an advocate of spending time with customers. And I, I spent 15 years at Adobe and was running product marketing. And had uh, we, we spent time, we were committed to each region to spend a week, a quarter in region, listening to sales, going on customer calls, building customer relationships. We'd host them when they come to the executive briefing center and so I think just having the ability to tell those stories and really develop a long-standing relationship with a customer goes a long way. And I found that if you as a marketer can actually just really understand three customer stories, that's it. That's all you need to know, right? Different industries, different personas, different solutions, whatever it might be, you can triangulate those three stories a hundred different ways. It might be the technology integration, it might be the problem they were solving, it might be their persona. So think about the three stories that you learn. But in order to be able to always back it up with a customer story, you really only need to know three deeply. It's great to name drop the rest, but that's how I think of like, customers and, and, uh, and empowering your teams to tell great, great stories.
3: I stole the mic. <clears throat> um, so when I first got to Dialpad, so Dialpad was founded by a lot of ex-Google um, Googlers, I believe is the technical term. But, um, and so the way they thought about product marketing was product marketing's job is to know the most about the product, right? And product marketing's job is to make sure the sales team knows a lot about the product and product marketing's job is to make sure that, um, it, you know, they do NPI really well and every feature is accounted for and all of this. And then when I got there, the big sort of cultural shift was saying that product marketing is knows the most about the customer. Like, I actually don't, I mean, I care if they know a lot about the product. They need to know a lot about the product. But it's only as it's connected to the value that it brings to the customer, not the actual feature-level conversation. So it took a while to sort of shift that and sort of think of it if you're in tech, like if you have SEs, either sales engineers or solution consultants, depending. That could be an E or a C. I didn't specify. Um, think of, I think of product marketing as that for the customer and for value in short stories, like, my God, nobody wants the long case study. They're very intoxicating, but really just three sentences, you can relate. So we spend a lot of time and and just culturally, we just say like in marketing, I always say like, if you have nothing to do, jump on a prospect call, jump on a customer call, just you'll never do enough of that. So we work really hard on making sure there's no, like your downtime is spent listening, even if you're not active on the call.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had a wonderful conversation earlier today um, with uh, Casey um, from Cheshire Impact. We were talking about the idea that the data in your database degrades constantly. Like it, it is it is not interest, right? It doesn't just sit there and uh, and grow bigger every day. That actually degrades, and I feel like customer conversations are the same way. Um, when you have them early on, like. Yeah, well, your CEO, you know, like your CEO talking to prospects early days, building the company. Um, yeah, this is what they wanted. Yeah, that was seven years ago. Things change. How do you kind of keep those customer conversations relevant, fresh? And then how do you kind of filter signal from the noise? Because sometimes, you know, there's not even sometimes, there's always a request request for feature request for product. There's always going to be that. And you need to figure out how to say, are we selling for something five years in the future or are we selling for right now?
3: I think I understand that question. (laughs) I'll answer it and you see how I do and then you can change. Um, I think it was keeping customer, like keeping that interaction up to date, fresh. Yeah. Yeah. You're welcome. Um, I think part of that sort of cultural, sort of the ethos of the business. I've been in several companies that are pretty insular, and so the question isn't whether or not the customer conversations are up to date. It's sort of whether or not anyone cares. Um, I find that in a company, if like the ethos is sort of insular, it's like, and this happens in a lot of very product-driven companies where it's very product and engineering-led, which is not a problem sometimes when it works, but. Um, in those, a lot of times it's a little bit of, I've been in several where it's like, you know if, people, if, you know, if people knew what they wanted, we wouldn't have built a car, sort of the Henry Ford thing, right? I'm like, well, okay, so that's, can we go for second in a million? You know, it seems like a weird, like the law of averages. So I'd just rather just talk to customers. But I think when you culturally are a company, especially if you're sort of sales and marketing focused and you care about customers, I think that takes care of itself. I think it's really hard to force to the forefront if the company is sort of insular and not thinking like, what do are, what are customers need? And not just on the features, but like, how do we cultivate relationships? How do we get them to advocate for us? How do we sell them more stuff without constantly just trying to sell them more stuff, et cetera, et cetera. I think a little bit starts with just the culture of the company.
4: Yeah, I'll definitely riff on that. Um, one of our cultural values is customer first. And it's a live recording. Um, so one of our cultural values is customer first. And our mission is to create a world where buyers love the sellers who serve them, or the sales is loved by the buyers. And, um, and so one of the things that we do is, uh, it's great, actually, within our platform, within the sales off platform, we can record calls and video conversations. And so our CEO, Kyle Porter, has a cadence set up for customers when they go live Um, that it sends out an invitation to have a conversation about how it went and then it's recorded and he'll take a snippet of that and he'll share it with the team around the experience that they had, the problems they're solving. And so we're constantly getting to hear his conversations. And then we took it one step further and created a customer first segment in our company, All Hands. And each Part of the organization tells their story of how customers serve, they're serving the customer. So we're constantly infusing customer voice, storytelling, showcasing the problems we're solving, ideally in the customer's own voice, which is so powerful, right? Where you get to see them say, We, you know, this implementation went great. We want to thank you know Carrie and the great work she did. And Amanda's team was awesome. And here's the problem you solved, and here's how. I'm more successful at my job. Thank you. Like, all of a sudden, anyone at the company who serves them, the engineers who build the product, get to hear firsthand what the customer loves about the product, how it solved their day, um, how they're able to be more successful in their role. Um, and so, you know, I think that's that's a way to keep it fresh. Is if they have a yeah. way to continue to record in the customer's own voice and feed it back.
2: And then, yeah. So, how do you? What's um, what's the mechanism in which that your team? Ref- receives that feedback and like puts it back into collateral copy, uh, you know, advertising, things like that.
4: Yeah. Um, I'll add to that. Sorry to take the second one, but um, big fan. And I have to uh, shout out Dave Gerhart from Drift for this one um, in using uh, peer reviews. So like a G2 crowd reviews, we read every single one, we respond every single one. So I'm a fan of TripAdvisor. I kind of like we got to do the same thing, um, but then taking those clips of what customers say and infuse that into our copy, into the website, onto advertisements. Um, I think is a great a great way to, and we've it infused all over our website. So we just grab quotes directly from customers.
5: Wow, I like that. Um, so I come from a big company, right? Um, lots of people, lots of customers. Who hears from like a large company? So we have lots of programs. And we have these things with advisory boards. They're they're wonderful. And you use those and you collect the data and you get the data, which is good. But let me give you a little secret. Who here is a marketer in this room? All right, so you already know the customer probably better than the customer knows themselves. sometimes. The data we have, the way they interact, which campaigns are working, what the trends reports are. So here's what else we figured out is as a marketer, you sit down with those customers and you start sharing the research you're reading in their segment, in their industry. Uh, You start to share, like, okay, have you thought of these different things? These are trends we are coming. And what we found was the the advisory boards and the customer feedback was incredibly valuable. But that informed a whole lot of things for us to go to research. And then we went and talked back to the customers. And you know what customers find really valuable is, like, insight in their own industry coming from someone that has representation across the whole industry. Um, And that fed directly into content. Um, that customers promote for you. So they become advocates for this messaging. And I think that's the, that's the little sneaky trick on like customer experience and how you create an advocate from your content. It is not only do you try and learn your customer, but you take all that insight to create a way of saying, hey, how do I create that information make it valuable to the customer? Because they're fighting the same battles we are, trying to sell them something. They're trying to sell people internally for these platform changes of technology pieces. So what we learn understanding our customer is even more beneficial usually for the customers themselves.
2: I love that, and uh, it's one of the things that we talk about a lot on the show. Is this idea of you know like fight where you can win? You know this is if you have certain data, if you have information, if you have um, insights that only you have access to, then like you have to share that stuff and you have to share it with your customers. Um, specifically, arming your salespeople. But also, you know, arming your copy so that it's differentiated Um, when you're thinking about a campaign or whether it's a, a longer campaign or a shorter campaign and how to nest in, you know, the kind of long term brand drumbeat strategic messaging. In with some of those kind of industry things. How do you uh, how do you kind of like nest those Russian dolls? How do you have those kind of drumbeat campaigns, but also uh, be able to speak directly to those kind of like individual use cases or those more topical things? You. It's your
4: My uh, turn. Or... Dang. Okay, I was hoping to get insight. Um, uh, so when I think about the campaigns or the plays that we run um, and. I'm a big fan of integrating marketing and sales in the conversation. Uh, and so we have to be thoughtful about what is the conversation that marketing is going to have? Where where are we going to add value kind of top of the funnel? And then when sales starts to get involved, how do they add more insight? And so when we think about the campaigns or sales plays, which is one thing, ideally, um, uh, we look at, you know, how do you identify the customer, the persona with that problem? And then how do you start adding more and more contacts in the account understanding their, their problems? And by the time it gets to the sales development team, if we have two or three contacts that we can understand kind of what they're interested in, then they can triangulate that with the solutions that they have to talk about and the customers that they have to talk about to add more contacts. So we're triangulating conversations between multiple contacts and account and really relying on the sales team, to kind of connect those dots and ideally giving insight back to that account. So I'll give a specific example of my last company. We were managing leads coming in one at a time around the world. We had different SDR teams all over the world. And so they were treating each individual separately. And when we ran, we we wrote a report in Salesforce um, to not have us engage until five contacts in the account had actually interacted with us. Once we did that, we understood, first of all, we could name drop other people. We could give them insight into other people inside their company were looking at save, solving the same problems and then triangulate those conversations into a broader opportunity. So as soon as we did that, our conversions rates went up. You know, We, we were stopped chasing uh, um, individual leads, and it actually brought more insight into what was going on in the account.
2: People weirded out by that?
4: No, like- they were actually like, sometimes they did know, that multiple people in the account were testing out our software. It was open source, so lots of people could download it. Um, and then when they didn't know, they were like, oh, you know, these three other people around the world are also trying to solve this? Like, we can triangulate together and actually bring the solution to market versus one person trying to do it on their own.
2: What was the question again? It's a great question. Uh, that's the best question of the day. Um,
3: I heard copy. I heard campaigns.
2: Yeah, so, so, you're, so you're... I got you. Yeah, yeah.
5: I'm going to riff on this one. All right. Okay. So um, I like to think of it this way. When you craft a message and it's got to last a long time, you've got to find the design point that people believe in. And what I mean by design point is... It's not about your product. It's about some tourism as to what the technology or offer can deliver that sustains beyond that one offer. So I'll give you an example. Like people have been buying stuff for Cisco for 30 years. They know that if the network goes down, that's not good. Countries rely on internet. This is a, a design point. But what if we told people that you know that same design point can apply to telephony, which we did 20 years ago? What if we can tell them the same for the compute? So the design point is like well how if you just make everything as consistent as this utility as internet so find a design point for your product that goes beyond just what your product is um, and what that means is that people your sales people will walk into those accounts and be like of course you want this to always work because you wanted the internet to always work this should always work so rather than you know trying to build a you know perfect differentiated product pitch and trying to fight, you know, you know, line by line with everybody else and what it is, find a narrative that makes sense, whether the person understands the technology or not. And then the secondary piece of that is people are more emotively connected, in my opinion, to their business decisions than often some of their personal decisions. Like I don't care what coffee I get, I like good coffee, but I don't like have a meltdown if it's doing, but decisions around which platforms I use, which campaigns I do, and the people that I work with, that's a really big decision. And so, make that design point also reward that person individually as much as it does the technology you're trying to sell. So, that's how I would craft the message.
3: I am going to talk briefly about the emotional hook of making that decision, which is sort of additive. Um, in our world, so we are the smallest player in a, an industry filled with massive publicly traded companies. So... We provide business communications, a cloud voice, video, text, call center, AI. Because I'm obligated under a law to say that. Um, but so we we have to like it's not just the product is different, but like how we market, how we talk about it, how we message the campaigns, the programs, all of that have to be different as well. It's actually part of sort of goes back to brand. Like people buy Dialpad many reasons, oftentimes for emotional reasons, usability it's a brand I want to be associated with. It's more in line with how I see the world. I'm sort of a digitally native company I consider myself a progressive IT shop. And this feels like innovation, et cetera, et cetera. So we're constantly trying to push the limits of like how to talk about it in a way that is unlike anyone else talks about it, because it's really easy to just say the same thing. It's probably applies in most of our businesses, but like, and it's an easy trap to fall into because it's like, no one ever got fired for saying the exact same thing as your biggest competitor. You're like, it's safe. But depending on where your position is in the market, you, I mean, I can tell you all of our competitions, their balance sheets are much better than ours. Um, so then you just run into like, well, why Dowpad? Why whatever company? Right. Because if I'm, if I'm risk averse, then I go with the best balance sheet. So part of that is figuring out like who we should be marketing and selling to, and being something for someone as opposed to trying to sell to everyone. But then part of it is to constantly try and find like a unique way to think about and talk about our solution to an audience that wants to hear something different. Um, and it's a huge challenge because sometimes you push too far, you get slapped down. Um, sometimes you don't push far enough because you're just feeling complacent and it's easier to not push to the limits in that situation. And you're like, we can get enough of market share um, so we're constantly trying, I'm pushing my team to constantly try and like find the line, stay on the line, don't cross the line. Um, but also even worse than crossing the line is just making your way back into like a really safe zone of how we think about copy positioning, et cetera, et cetera.
2: I think it, it also speaks to the fact that um, your, like parts of your messaging will stick to your audience, for example. Um, when I told Keith about this event, I said, you know, there's going to be a genius bar. He just heard bar. So he's like, yeah, I'll be there. Um, so, you know, like which parts of your messaging are kind of sticking in like, oh, you have AI or you have this piece is part of that. Um, but back to the emotional part is like people buy for all sorts of irrational reasons. Um, we all, you know, whether it's software or otherwise people buy because they have an awesome sales rep and they're, you know, whatever, Um, but I think for marketers, for a lot of marketers, what they struggle with is like just getting past that threshold of being memorable in some way, being front of mind in some way so that you get consideration so that you get that. Um, and you have to be creative, uh, but creative is a very mushy thing. How do you look at creativities with your teams? How do you look at being memorable how do you look at being front of mind for your customers or
3: for prospects? All right. I, I can do this one. Okay, I'll go first. Um, so again, this is one of those things where I think it's easier when you the company sort of believes in it. So um, Dialpad's first product was a company called Uber, or a product called Uber Conference, and Uber Conference is most famous for the hold music, which is. By the, if you've heard it, you've heard it 10,000 times. You've heard it more than enough. But the hold music is still something that people still talk about. And um, one of the founders wrote and recorded this song, I'm on hold. Um, and I've been sitting here all day. I've been sitting. Anyways, I won't go there. But um, so when I first got a dial pad, I knew right out of the gate, like, oh, okay, this this team this team wants to be memorable they're willing to sort of take chances and do interesting fun things um so like one of the things we did when we 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 bought this ai company um talk iq and and so one of the things first things we thought in a sort of more than semi-serious but not completely serious we're going to build it anyway was like, what if we just did like a swear jar and just it just gave you a at the end of every call it told you how many cuss words were. And like, and then we're like, wait, we could, have, what if we put like 25 cents on every word? And so we our immediate thought was like, how can we turn AI into capturing how vulgar your call was? Um, and we all laughed about it. And we thought, well, there might be some funny business value to that. But we sort of start with we really do angle towards like, What's, what's the weirdest, most outrageous thing to do with the technology? And then we find our way back. And I mean, that's different from like fulfilling customer requests and things like that. But we're constantly trying to build delight into the experience. Um, and so when you have that, it makes it easier to try to do it in marketing as well. And so um, I think just like we view it as, um, you know, it's a very emotional decision. Your, your business communications, your telephone your telephone for sales or support, or your whatever it may be, it's something you use every day. Um, it's something that historically you don't think of like, wow, the most innovative thing in the world, my telephone, because it's been around for 150 years. Um, but what we find is that when we're creative, like we put that out there, the people that want that find us. Whereas, like, when we find the middle, it just becomes like a disaster. Of like people who, the worst thing is that when people are like, oh, Dialpad looks really good but there's no way they would ever buy dial pad. We, we've, we've figured that out. So by being more creative and how we outreach the people who, who want, who our audience finds that and they connect with us, that's worked really well for us. We also have a big market, which helps, but we think a lot about creativity and sort of how we message, how we build the product, how we design the product. Um, and what we find is that like that manufacturer in Ohio who's probably not going to buy dial pad, sees that campaign and says, guess what? I'm not buying dial pad. And we're cool with that because it, the person that was going to buy it, it's more obvious to them. So I think we we always try to take big swings.
2: I think it was Bill Shakespeare who said, know thyself. You know?
3: It was well, nice. Bill himself.
2: Yeah. Any-
4: Cool. Um, So I take a little bit of a different angle, and I think maybe I I grew up more in enterprise B2B, and so I'm maybe slightly more risk averse, even though our company uh, started big and bold. I think they did the Mark Benioff for president uh, campaign like when we started, which got a ton of social buzz. I think it was like the the biggest... um, uh, reaction that they had had that year, and then I guess we shot money out of the two dollar bills out of a can and that didn't work so well. Uh, and and so thankfully, um, that didn't work so well because it's kind of lifted a little bit of the pressure to go for the big the big punch. And so where I come from brand, because I think it's important is consistency and really understanding what your brand stands for and investing in that. So for us, you know, we want to be put our brand out there. We use a lot of partners that share the same values that we do, that stand for the same thing. So we're all we we want to align with people that are looking to change the sales industry for the better. And if they share the same mission and values that we do, then we want to go all in with them. And so we've taken like this kind of community first strategy of getting the brand out to the end users that align with them. Um, and then, you know, just investing, investing in the consistency. I never thought I'd put a billboard on the 101, but hey, there's a billboard because um, I know what my markets are and I want to make sure that people are seeing um, seeing us here. We're as everywhere we possibly can be with our brand, um, except on sandwich boards because I think that's lame and I would never make anybody wear a sandwich board. Poor people. Um, I know, I know. Um, but uh, so I would say it's consistency it's aligning through partners to help who share your, your vision and values and, and getting your brand out through them. And then the the third one is building the brand of our customer. If you can build a loyalty, I think Salesforce does an amazing job of this with trailblazers. Um, and so if you can build a loyalty of your biggest followers that they want to be part of the overall movement, that's where I'm investing. I'm investing in the the next generation of leaders that also are there. So community and and customers.
5: So you get the full spectrum. Now you're like full B2B. Um, So I'm all about simplicity, right? Like people are so overloaded. Like I can't keep up with my text messages. I have no idea what my Powerball was last month. You know, there's just so much going on that I'm like, okay, the right way to engage someone is just give them what they want in the simplest way possible so they can articulate it. And then, okay, that's the first thing. So now they understand what it is I'm trying to help them with. The next thing is like, well, what if I invest in this person in a way where they walk away from this knowing something more about what I just told them about in a way that they then become more skilled? And uh, it turns out we have this technology called marketing automation, which everyone thought was about driving demand. Uh, But what it's really good at is delivering messages at the right place at the right time. So you deliver a simple message like, hey, this is cool. Everyone's like, that's cool, really easy. But then if you say, here's the right shoes to wear to be even core, um, and you do that at the right time. And so there's subtle things we can do about simplicity and then just delivering a piece of insight or knowledge that makes that person more able to deliver that simple message themselves. Um, and it's not, you know, I'm not building crazy brand campaigns and, and none of that stuff because I, we can and do all that. But like, you know what? People really appreciate when you make your life easier. They understand something that's a real problem from that day. And then you make them more successful for that. And it builds this affinity with your brand. So it's truly brand marketing. Um, you get to know what's good and what's bad because they engage it because guess what? We use the marketing automation platform to deliver it. And then your salesperson thinks you're a legend because suddenly this person's going around telling everyone else what they learned from this one campaign you delivered. So I guess my meta message is, like, for us, it's simplicity. Like, remove all the words that make no sense. My test is if you cover up your brand and you read it and you have no idea what it says, probably should start again. Uh, And then, like, go talk to people that are doing this stuff and ask them, like, what are the three hardest things you did today? And I guarantee one of those will give you an idea of what to reward them with.
2: I think um, of marketing sometimes as a little bit of the good idea factory. And sometimes as the CMO, it's a hard thing to do is that you have to say no. Um, I'm curious, either what is something that you have said no to, that one of your employees brought you, that you thought was a good idea? Or what is something that in your career you brought as a good idea that someone said no to that you were upset about.
5: I'll,
3: I basically say <laughs> I, I. was fine. It's fine. See what Keith does. I say no to pretty much anything the engineers propose as a general rule in my career. Um, so far, it's worked. Um, I get those often. So I mean, I think like the the thing about marketing is that like you know, depending on it's a lot of it is words and pictures and sort of like it's emotional. And, and, you know, a lot of, that's what everyone sees. They don't see the data driven portion. Oftentimes they don't see all of the work in all of these campaigns or your waterfall model and all this. And so it's an easy thing. Whereas like, you're not looking and seeing like lines of code, you just see the product. Right. And so I've found over the years that everyone has an opinion on marketing, right? Everyone has an opinion on that campaign or that words or the website or the billboard or the ad or whatever it is. Um, So I found starting at no, a pretty good place to start and then convince me off of that because it would just be me crowdsourcing marketing all the time, which sounds like a nightmare. Um, But we also do try and like what we do is we set up, we'd have sessions internally, um, we call it pitch, please. Um, it's what it's called. Pitch. It's a P. And any employee can come and pitch an idea, a campaign, et cetera, et cetera. And, and what I find is that when you give like a formal format for it, one, people self it. Like, so if it's just informal, people are like, they're just texting you on the on Saturday. Like, hey, I saw this thing and I thought, and I'm like, no, no, thank you. But when you create a formal Session for it, allows people to feel heard. Um, it, it we've actually gotten some really good ideas that way, mainly because people don't want to publicly express their like whim or bad idea. So we found that to be super helpful. Um, I've had personally had so many ideas shot down that I wouldn't even know where to start. I just just keep moving. None, none of note, none that were like they were probably all by that, bad ideas anyway. But um, yeah, it's part of the the gig.
4: So I, I think, uh, I used to say I'm the office of no, that's what it felt like, right. Or that I was in a constant game of whack-a-mole seriously. It's like ding, ding, ding. Um, and, and it's, uh, it's hard because what you're trying to do is drive alignment. You're seeing the view across the organization. So, um, I'm going to even pick one harder. It wasn't somebody on my team. It was my CEO founder, um, who has a, a marketing and sales background that constantly has great ideas. Um, and, and so it was getting really hard to, you know, say no, because he's used to people saying yes. And it was relatively early into the job. And so while you're collecting all those great ideas, like what it is that we can't now do. And I think that's hard if you're in a smaller startup, because, you know, they started with 12 people and they could do lots of things. They could generate those ideas. And all of a sudden you're four or 500 people. You can't pivot as fast. Uh, it takes longer for everybody to align. And everybody has ideas. And so what we did was we went through a process of assessing all the different ideas strategies against a model, and came up as our executive team, like, these are the three things that we're going to do. And we quantified it. And I have to say that um, you know going after existing customer base to cross-sell upsell versus going after um, the private airline industry, was a bigger market opportunity and maybe the better strategy for the company and it you know I might have said that in the meeting <laughs> but uh, yeah it was like, oh my wife had this great idea and you know she's smart too but yeah so <laughs>
5: um, Okay, so I encourage people to fail a little bit. Um, not because I want them to see them crash and burn, but I'm like, look try it. And so I actually put money in each of the regions. And it's not a lot of money. Um, and I'm like, hey, you've got a great idea. You can do it I've got one condition, just one condition, that you have to be able to track what it did. Um, and it's never billboards and stuff because you can't really track those. That kind of take, It takes a whole lot of crazy ideas off the table. Um, but if someone's like, hey, if only we had this awesome steak restaurant with sharks, then everyone would come to them. I'm like, all right, dude, like 10 grand, go do your thing. You just have to generate enough sales to back it up. And it does two things. One is those that really care and are accountable to their customers, they'll think it through. They'll build the business case. You invest them, they become your best advocates. Two is, occasionally you get some crazy idea and you're like, look, man, I I don't know. Um, But that's my blind spots. And what I learned was that once you start to recognize you'll have blind spots for ideas and like, you know, there's no way I can ever stretch across the whole business. Um, But as long as no one gets hurt, and they learn from that, sure. maybe get hurt. No one eats Tide Pods. It's all going to be OK. Um, but no, there's an element of create. I create that ecosystem for it, uh, create the safety where if they get it wrong, we, we analyze it. And like, well, why didn't this work? We thought these people would want to come to this restaurant. Well, maybe we had the wrong audience. Do we have the wrong message? Um, and if you combine accountability with a predictable set of rules, uh, and rules as in, like, you know, don't do stupid things. Then generally, the the no it's not me saying no all the time. It becomes more like, well, yes, and. Um, and then the other thing, is I will admit, every six months, you do have to do a bit of, a, a, it, I call it, like, programmatization, which is code for, like, bringing all the kittens back into the basket. Um, so as they've all gone crazy and done these great ideas, and I make them all heroes, and then they say, look, now you can run your steak shark restaurant idea all through the West Coast. It's cool. Um, but I guess, I guess my message here is, is you don't always have to start with no. Um, but you do have to keep accountability and enable safety. And then the rest kind of falls into place usually.
2: What Give us an, an example of one of the other than the shark restaurant. Uh... <laughs> All right.
5: So I'll, I'll give you one example, which is uh, we were building uh, data centers. And someone said, well, people aren't building centers now. They're evacuating them. I'm like, okay. So our whole business, we're saying, is going away. They said, no, 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 trust me. Like, If we have this conversation, then we'll be the people that explain how you can do this thing called data center evacuation. Just to summarize what it is, it's, you shut down data centers, you move into other ones, you get more efficient. It's, it's generally a good thing. But who writes a campaign called the data center evacuation campaign?
2: Topical and relevant.
5: <laughs> totally. So, so I was like, all right, well, let's try it. It turned out most of the people coming to this thing didn't want to evacuate their data centers. They just—they'd just, been told like you must evacuate the data center. Like this is a scary word. What does it mean? So we found this group of people that wanted to understand how to build their applications in the right way and think it through and make sure that their investments they made for the last twenty years made sense. Um, it was a great idea. And so even though the the name of it just gave me heartburn, I was like, oh, um, you know, you have those things, right? <laughs> You're like, oh, but it worked. And you know what? The people that wrote that, they wrote the content for it. They built it. They executed it. They loved it. It was theirs. The sellers never resisted me on like any pipeline calls. They loved it. And so that is that is the trick, I think, sometimes, is, is let let the business guide you. And then that was my own blind spot for calling it, you know, not wanting to call it evacuation. Um, and it scaled. I can give you some great failures too, but that's probably more uplifting positive stuff.
2: I don't know how failures are good too. I want to know quickly, what is your threshold for an idea to come to you that has to be signed off for you? Not necessarily dollar amount per se, although feel free, um, but what is the level of scope? Is it video? Is it a dollar? Is it uh, you know somebody, an executive team member's on it? Uh, is it a comms thing? What's, what's the criteria that it has to have my signature on the dotted line?
5: So I feel like uh, I should carry, I, I I feel like I carry, carry the book. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I get this wrong a lot. Um, I try and keep a really flat organization. And, and so the line for my approval is is usually pretty well delegated. Um, but it's interesting that people want to come have the conversation. So I'm like, Hey, like if you've got a crazy idea. um, Grab 15 minutes. um, Just come in. Let's riff on it. We'll grab the whiteboard. We'll drink some Red Bull if we need to. And then let's see if that becomes something. Um, And then, and then I say, look, like rather than me approving it, do your peers approve it? And do they think this is a good idea? And they do believe in it. And so a lot of, it's, I don't feel like I approve stuff anymore, like i sign signed the compliance stuff, but like, to be honest, a lot of it is like, just encouraging people to push their ideas a little better, and make sure they don't need typos, and that's generally the, <laughs> the <laughs> um, I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah.
4: Well, I can go. Um, so- I think taking the time to actually put it into uh, slides is about the threshold that I need. It's just like, you know, if you, if you take the time to like create what your idea is, how you want to execute it, maybe you've done a little bit of research, what you think the outcome is going to be. Um, and so there are definitely some folks on my team that are always trying to innovate and do new things. Um, I tend to then kind of treat it the same way I treat my closet, which is um, when I buy something, I have to remove something. And uh, and so I have to love it more than something I already own, and so that's part of it too. Is so, what are we going to stop doing? Because it's a great idea, you believe in it. So at the end of the day, we don't. You know, we're already at capacity, over capacity, and and so what are you not going to do? And how is this going to make up the gap in terms of what that other piece might be performing to believe that it's going to even continue to make us go forward? I think it's hard scaling. I mean, we're scaling at over a hundred percent a year right now. And, um, you know, my, my team isn't scaling at 100%. So we have to think, like, is this going to scale? Are we getting efficiency? How, you know, how, how does it not be manual every time? Um, and so those would be some of the other things that I look for.
3: Um, at Dialpad, it's mainly, I think, audience is probably the threshold. Like, if everyone's going to see it, it has to come through me. If everyone internally is going to see it, it especially has to come through me. I think the internal audience is oftentimes trickier than the external one. Um, I try not to, I mean, obviously if it's a big expense, we, we go through, but I, I try to delegate. I mean, I think like constantly making me the approver of everything is not really the job I want. Um, And it's not very fun to have all of your ideas need to be approved. We try and set guidelines and, but there is like, if it's a thing where like everyone's going to see it, it's just better off if I get my hands on it. It's actually good for everyone. It's good for the CEO. It's good for the person whose idea it was so that everyone feels protected. And it also, um, especially if you're taking a big swing on something, you want to make sure that you're not just doing that off by yourself. Don't need Tide Pods. Okay, question. We have
2: times for two short questions. One long question. Somewhere in there. First hand gets it. Sir.
4: As he's going for the question, I'm going to add one more thing. Yeah, go ahead. The hardest part about having the idea is that you have to own it. Like, I'll take my marketing hat off when I'm sitting at the executive table and like, oh, this would be a great idea. And they're like, great, you go do it. <laughs> so you got to watch on your ideas too.
1: Hi, my name is Manoj. Uh, I just want to know, like, as a CMO of the company or the VP of the mar- VP marketing of the company, what things you keep in mind when you're starting the campaign for the product so that the lead conversion would be high? One or two points.
4: I think you have to, You know, if you're starting a campaign... Sorry, it, you have
2: to put your marketing hat back.
4: I'm putting my marketing back, hat back on. Um, although I'd love it if my engineering team wanted to figure this one out. Uh, so I think as you're looking at... Um, The campaign that you're wanting to run, I think your total addressable audience has to be big enough, right? So how many people are you going to actually reach? And if you're running the math on what your conversion rates are, that it's following those same conversion rates, that it's kind of getting out of the gate, or you're tweaking it. So I would say, does the campaign itself have a large enough addressable audience that it's worth putting the investment into? Um, And you know, I always will go back to as well, is like, does sales think it's a good idea, like you know I, I always want them to be aligned. Would they promote their customers to or prospects to want to come and participate in the campaign? So always kind of keeping that connection between marketing and sales.
5: So, we spend a lot of time on the ing of marketing, but not as much time on the market of marketing. Um, so the execution is where everyone gets all crazy about different bits and pieces. The question I usually ask for a product marketing campaign is like, what is the step I want this customer to take to begin the journey to adopt the product? And it's the same for a SaaS product or if I'm buying flowers for a wedding or whatever it is, there's some first step that's that first bite of the pie. And so I identify what is that, what is the lowest calorie taste I can get this person for this and how do I find that market that likes that taste? It's your point of like finding everything and then the ing part of it, like all the stuff you do will, will all fall into place. So just find that hook, that one little hook, and you can test it on a phone call with someone and what, you'll know it as soon as you've got it. And then do the inging part. Um, focus on the market, then the ing.
3: Yeah. The, I'll actually build on that. I think that marketing at its worst is just a function that checks a lot of things off a list. If you're not careful and it's, well, we did that we did that and we did that, and we, did that and we did that and jobs done, hit the bar, go home, the genius bar, go home. Um, but I, I mean, if I'm unsure if I just ask the person, I'm like, would you like, do, do you think this is a good campaign? Like, would you click that? Like, just honestly, would you ask the person besides you? Would they be interested? Like, is what's the intent? What are we trying to do here? Would you actually take it? And I think like with no like like ill intention, I think a lot of times on my team, I catch people all the time where just like they're just getting through the activity. It's like, okay, well, I gotta get this out. And they're not stopping often enough to say, like, is it any good? Would I be compelled by this? Have I asked customer marketing if this is like something that's been working? Have I talked to sales? Like just things like that. And I I think like you start people will start to course correct um and then of course audience intention all of those things i mean in theory all of our campaigns are amazing that's how we were made it to this prestigious stage with ian um but let's assume a couple are bad on occasion and they're usually bad because i don't think they well, oftentimes they're just bad because they're i don't know what success looked like right and so you have to stop that before it ever gets out the door
2: Joe DiMaggio missed six times out of every 10, you know what I mean? Um, okay, next question. Kevin, I know you got one over there. Yeah, I, got one. I knew you did. I could see it in your eyes. Coming down, big red. Perfect.
3: Hey, thanks, Ian. Uh, long-time listener, first-time caller. Um, so uh, I'm just curious to know, you know, this is Dreamforce. It's forward-looking. Uh, what marketing trends are you most excited about kind of at your level at the CMO and VP customer experience level.
4: I'll do one that's in the, in the here and now because it's exciting to start to figure out. Um, and I would say that's the integration between intent data and action and really trying to figure out what to do with it. It's like marketing's new toy, right? Ooh, more data, yay, right? But it's all different. The, the different vendors kind of provide different views of intent. At different stages. And so I think we have to be mindful of what that is. And then how do we translate that into action? Where, you know, does an intent actually need to end up being outbound or is it just a signal that is adding to the engagement score? Um, So still kind of trying to triangulate that out. Um, It's maybe not necessarily a future, future trend, but I think it's a trend in the here and now as we all try and like, we're all doing it, but do we really know what the right model is?
3: Yeah, I would say, um, I think the line between marketing and revenue, it's continuing to blur more and more and more, especially depending on the type of company you're in. So, um, a pad, 40% of the revenue is, um, self-serve freemium trial. So that just reports into marketing, um, I have the team that fulfills that. I have engineers that work on the growth side of it, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So I love that piece. I think you see more and more like chief customer officers, which are starting to own marketing and sales and customer success. So I think like just the mashup of like the customer as like the atomic unit of revenue and success is like a really positive trend. And I also think like it gets, I think marketing is for the most part, out of the sort of like, you know, half your budget, don't know which budget half is good. Like I sort of think we've passed that. Um, and it, it sort of gets marketing, I think, in sort of a, a, even more strategic role, especially in technology companies where like so much of the, so much of the funnel is marketing before it ever hits sales. And I also think it's really hard to outbound your way to the promised land, like at scale as the numbers get really big. So marketing plays an even more and more more important role of getting things into the funnel, getting them faster through the funnel, getting them through the, the stage that everything seems to stick at, et cetera. I think that's, it's actually personally very satisfying. So hopefully that trend keeps up. And next week I'll be CEO of Dialpad, um, or not. Thanks, Craig. Yeah. Uh, well, for me,
5: I'm a little blast. I think the shift in the way that customers perceive their brand is that experience. And, you know, that customer experience is really something that we as marketers have the most touch points of. And so if you think about what a brand experience is and what a product expression is, it's more than just that, you know, what the product is or when it gets bought or, and it's how it gets used and what the experience is with that company and how responsive they are when something goes wrong. And we as marketers, we actually own most of those, or we're custodians is probably the more appropriate word, we're custodians of a lot of those touch points. And so the more that you think about what you do as a marketer, that what we do as marketers is about everything from acquiring a net new customer to renewing a customer that's been with you for, you know, a hundred years is all part of that, that, that customer experience journey that we as marketers deliver. Um, and Kia, I just want to build off something you say, which is, you know, we used to be marketers in the sense of like, we built these beautiful campaigns and people thought of us as brand. Uh, I'm very b 2 as you can tell, but I would say 80% of my conversations are revenue-driven. Somewhere along the line, marketing became responsible for driving pipeline, demand, leads, demand. Like, we're looking after a large portion of the business. You have all the tools to do it. And so the other shift I would encourage all of us to take is start having a revenue-aligned conversation. Don't be afraid to say what the brand is worth and how that Expressions beyond your sales um, so that's kind of what i'm saying it's, it's an exciting time for marketing the last thing is we have more data than any other part of the business um, more than product, more than engineering it doesn't matter if you're SaaS or hardware or what have you marketing knows the customers better than almost anybody else um, what we are terrible at doing today is presenting that in a way that's consumable that doesn't sound like a bunch of pseudoscience to our engineers and other stakeholders and so, as you put it in the lens of, of experience and revenue and other portions, uh, that's incredibly powerful. So it's it's a it's a fun time to be a marketer.
2: Final questions? Anyone? Shoot the hand up. Okay. So thanks everyone for for coming. This has been super fun. What I find is really fascinating is that this is going to be the most highly listened to session of all of Dreamforce because we have the power of technology behind us and we're a company that does marketing. So this is going to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people, which is pretty exciting. That's my promise to all of you who are in the room. You're part of history here. Um, and uh, uh, if you haven't, check out Pardot Puppies because they're puppies. So go check it out. Uh, check out marketingtrends.com and listen to uh, to some fun episodes. Um, any other additional questions or anything you have, email team at marketingtrends.com. We'll send it over to these three if you have follow-ups or if you have anything like that. If you're listening abroad and didn't get to visit, um, then uh, send it to us and we'll ask them the questions and get you answers on the show. Thanks so much for hanging out. This reminded me of when in, in Thanksgiving when uh, I would sit next to my brother and have to like at Thanksgiving dinner, and then he would just slowly put mashed potatoes like on my chair the whole day, and I wouldn't realize it. And now it's... I'd stand up and just my leg would be covered in gravy.
1: Thanks, (laughs) y'all. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing.